I'm Tom Zuba. I'm the guy with the two dead kids and the dead wife. At first, I did grief the old way. And then I discovered a new way to do grief. I'm on my way to becoming radiant. Thanks for joining my podcast today. We're going to do this thing together. Welcome to my podcast. It's called Becoming Radiant. Becoming Radiant. And tonight I'm excited. I'm going to introduce you to the fourth member of a really exciting new band called The Early Sixes. I had a conversation with my nephews, Sam and Danny Zuba. And then I had a conversation with what I called the lead singer, Matt. And tonight we're going to bring on the cello player, a cool guy by the name of Nate. I asked Nate what his favorite song on the album, their sophomore album called Navigate is. And he said it's a song called The Way You Deserve to Be Loved. So I'm going to play it, and I'm going to bring him on, and we'll uh, watch the expression on his face. This is, Ma- this is Nate's favorite song on the CD. Bring him on in a second. Know this song? I've heard it once or twice. Listen to a little bit.
that's a really beautiful song. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, it's it's uh, certainly my favorite on the album. I mean, there are others that I just love, but this one, this one especially is very meaningful to me. Uh, the day that I recorded this, I just found out that my my aunt, my dad's only sister, had passed away the night before. And going into that recording session, I was just overwhelmed with emotion and um, certainly feeling uh, a deep pain and a deep loss uh, for my aunt, and especially for my dad as well. This is his only sibling. His parents had passed years ago, even before I was born, in fact. So this was his last remaining um, family member outside of his immediate family. So it was it was a really tough time. Um, I don't often hear my I don't often see my dad cry, and this was one of those moments where he was uh, weeping very openly, and, and we just had um, very good conversations that morning, and then that evening I recorded that song, and all of that emotion and uh, that pain uh, ended up in the song. Uh, I really drew from that and and i think that's one of the reasons i really enjoy this song so much because i can i can feel the and i can hear my own angst and my own um pain in that song even though it's 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 not a painful song it's actually a very beautiful song that matt wrote for his daughter uh but it has a different meaning for for me when i think when i hear that song i think about my aunt and I, I think about how she deserves to be loved. Tell us your aunt. Aunt Carol, Carol Brown. So one of the things that I love about the album is that each one of the songs, I think has multi-leveled meanings. You can listen to it one day and it tells a story and you can listen to it another day and it relates to something that happened in my life or it relates to something in the past. To me, it reminds me of albums that I would listen to in the 70s and in the 80s with a bunch of friends. We would sit down, you know, we would all have the lyrics we would listen to the song and then we would discuss it. You know, it's like, what do you think they meant? What does that mean? So it was, it was more than just listening to a song. It was a shared experience. Um, and, and I shared that. I, I told the folks before I brought you on that I've already had a conversation with my nephews, Danny and Sam, who I know obviously really, really well. Uh, I've had a conversation with Matt I refer to him as the lead singer. It was interesting because he really, really backed away from that title of lead singer. I thought that was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And what everybody said is that the real, real musician, the trained musician in the band, the early sixes, is Nate. So I'm really, really happy to have you kind of, you know, round out the circle for us. Sure. Uh, would sure. you say, is, is that true? Are you the trained musician? That's, that's a true statement to the um, extent that I have been 
playing much longer than, than uh, the rest of the guys. I, I started playing the cello when I was seven and I was classically trained. Uh, the Suzuki method is the method that I went through. So to that extent, yes, I, I, I'm the uh, resident musician in the group. But the thing is that these guys have, they, they can certainly hold their own. You know, they, they give me that, um, uh, they give me that title or that, uh, that, uh, that, that credence, but in reality, they are all musicians unto their own. Um, they, they actually call me Eagle Ear. Um, uh, when we're critiquing the songs, I'm the one that will point out intonation issues. Um, hey, that's out of tune. Hey, I think we need to adjust that note there. Um, at, at certain points, it certainly gets uh, on their nerves, I know, uh, that I'm so particular. Uh, but uh, that's, that's one of the things I think I bring to the band is uh, in making us uh, that much better is critiquing the intonation. So. Um, yeah, so that that's that's my one of my roles in the in the band. But I I was I was classically trained uh, Suzuki method. I trained under Walter Prusel, um, who is in the uh, Chicago Lyric Opera. He's been in the Lyric Opera since 1988, if I'm not mistaken. And he is the principal cellist uh, for the Lyric Opera. I trained under Wally Prusel. That's why I called him Wally. And then in college, I trained under uh, Mike Beard, uh, who is uh, both the orchestra conductor and a professor at uh, Rock Valley College. And then also more recently, he is the choral director at Rockford College. Which is now Rockford University. What is it called now, Tom? Rockford University. Oh, it's a university now. Oh, I, I, I apologize, Rockford University. Coming up in the world, yes. So yeah, he's the choral director over there. So Nate, for those of us that aren't musicians, you use the word intonation. I don't know what that means. Yeah, so, um, so intonation is the accuracy of pitch in playing or singing. So. If, if a note is just slightly off, especially on a string instrument, for instance, uh, a cello, you can play a note that is just slightly off to the point that it's not really truly a note. It's, 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 it's not anything. It's, it's not even just flat. It's just an off note. And I, I was not born with perfect pitch, but I have a trained ear. I wouldn't say that perfect pitch, but I do have a trained ear. And those off notes, I pick up on it very quickly. Um, so that's, that's when I'm talking about intonation, I'm talking about like an off note, uh, off on pitch um, in either voice or string. So, so you have four band members. The band is called the Early Sixes. You're the only band member that reads music. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is true, Tom. Um, however, I don't read music. Uh, I, I have music sitting behind me. I do read music. Um, but I don't for our um, for our band. In fact, it's it's all improvised. Uh, it's improvised to the point that I will then repeat it over and over again as we play it. Um, but uh, that's actually one of my favorite things to do. And that's one of the things that I learned through the Suzuki method. I didn't even realize it growing up. So I, I started playing a cello when I was seven. Um, and I was in orchestra my entire life. Uh, 
probably I was eight when I joined the McHenry County Youth Orchestra. And then in high school, I was in the Rockford Symphony Youth Orchestra. Actually, Mike, Mike Beard was also the uh, orchestra conductor for that uh, orchestra. Uh, and then I was in orchestra in college. And then after that, I was in orchestra in Chicago, the citywide Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So yeah, yeah, certainly I can read music, but the thing that I really enjoy most about playing the cello as an adult is improvising, improvisation. Uh, it's so much more enjoyable to create music, especially in this uh, band. When we get together, we are just in the moment. And that's one of the things that's just most fun about it is just being present with each other. And I can look at Matt or I can look at Dan and I just know where he's going with his riff. I know where Matt's going with his voice and I'm following him just by a look. That's, that's how well we know each other. And that's the depth of our friendship, our relationship and being in the band together has really um, taken our relationship to a whole new level because we're able to read each other like that. And, and are you confident that both Dan and Matt actually know where they're going? Yes. Yes. Okay. When we first, when we first started playing, I, I don't know that I would answer that question so confidently, but yes, over the years that we've been playing together, yes, these guys have grown exponentially as musicians and I, I trust their judgment. Uh, and I, I, it's, it was especially interesting recording this album remotely because I don't think if we, if we didn't have such a strong relationship, I don't, if we hadn't played together so for so many years prior, I don't know that we could have been as in sync with each other recording this remotely, but yes, to answer your question. Yes, I do. Let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. What seven-year-old starts playing the cello what was that all about who are your mom and dad what kind yeah. of yeah, I, I, uh, my mom was covering over me forcing me to play the cello tom it was not a uh, it was not a um individual effort i did not decide to pick up the cello my mom had uh this um plan for our whole family um i have five siblings and each one plays a stringed instrument so uh, my sister, my younger sister, Liz, she started playing the violin at four, if you can believe it. Um, so, yeah, seven, I was an old timer by the time I started. And uh, so we have three violins, um, four violins. Uh, my sister also plays the piano. I have two sisters, uh, two brothers, violin and viola, they both play. So growing up, we played... Oh, I can't even, I couldn't even count how many weddings we played growing up, Tom. The five um, of you together? It was, it was actually typically only three of us, three or four of us that would play. Uh, because the, the wide uh, range of ages, uh, I, I'm, I'm right in the middle. I actually share the middle with my sister. I don't even get the middle to myself, Tom. A middle child that doesn't even get the middle. But uh, because of the age gap, my oldest brother was out of the house yeah. by the time my youngest brother was starting to play. So did your mom play? No. Well, she, she played the organ, um, but not, 
I don't think she had much training. Uh, we had an organ in the house. She didn't play it. So that leads me to believe she didn't have much training. Also, I know I just I just know that she she would tell you if she was here, she was not that well trained. She just knew that she wanted to have string instruments uh, in the family. So at what age did you actually begin to like playing? I don't think it was until college. Oh. I don't think it was until college. Yeah. So why didn't you quit? I, I couldn't. My, my, my mom would not let me. Well, uh, we, I mean, we practiced daily, 30 minutes every day, lessons every week. We lived in uh, Harvard at the time and would drive to Schaumburg to uh, the Prussel's house, um, Stephanie Prussel and Walter Prussel. Stephanie taught uh, my siblings violin, and I was taught by uh, Walter, or Wally, the, uh, the cello. So it was a weekly thing, Thursday, every Thursday. It was, an, it was a whole day affair. We'd go out there. And, so and then we had a orchestra on, on Saturdays and um, practicing every day. When you were in high school, what did you think she would do to you if you all of a sudden said, I don't want to do this anymore? Uh, the thing is, Tom, I know I said that. I know all of, our, all of my siblings said that at one point or another. I'm done playing. It just, it was not an option. It was not an option. I, 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 I don't recall exactly, there weren't any threats or anything like that, but it was, there was no question that we were playing instruments. We were playing okay. musical instruments. So what did in college? Why, why did you all of a sudden start to like it? I figured out how to improvise. Okay. And, and, and I started playing. Um, I started playing with Sarah Kelly. Uh, Sarah Kelly is a Rockford native. She's a, uh, she's Grammy nominated. In fact, I played on, on her first Grammy nominated album, um, Take Me Away, which was nominated in 2005. So that's where I really honed uh, my ability to improvise. And it made it a whole lot more fun than just sight reading music. I still enjoy orchestra, but it's, it's just, it, it's a completely different intensity of playing. So because as I was describing before, you're much more in sync and much more relying on your bandmates to know where you're going and to follow along and to create music in that moment. So did you move from Harvard to Rockford? Harvard to Poplar Grove. So I was 15 or 16 when we moved from Harvard to Poplar Grove. And so outskirts of Rockford. Um, and so my, um, yeah, my whole life moved to, to the Rockford area, which was, um, that was a pivotal moment for me. I had to learn how to meet new people. And it was difficult. It was very difficult um, to, to leave behind friends, which it wasn't an exceptionally huge distance, but it was to the point that we, I was not seeing my friends on a regular basis um, from Harvard and Woodstock. And so I had to create new friends. I had to meet new people. and. Out of that um, new beginning, 
I ended up meeting Dan. Uh, Dan and I met uh, in, in high school, but we really didn't become close until college. Uh, we went to Rock Valley for a couple years together. And that, those years developed our relationship. I mean, we are so much closer now. Uh, you know, through the years, we have just grown. Our relationship has grown. But that was that was the time that I met Dan. And I met Sam as well. Sam was a youngster when I met him. He was a young kid. Where did you go to high school? I was homeschooled. I was actually homeschooled from kindergarten through high school. I'm what's known as a pure blood homeschooler. That's a, that's a that is a self self described that is that is my that is a title that I've given myself. In fact, I'm the only one in my family, Tom, that has been uh, homeschooled throughout. I don't know you that well, but I actually like you, so that's a big surprise. <laughs> I know, I know. I uh, <laughs> so how did like think, how'd you meet Dan then? I met Dan at uh, Cross Current, which was a youth group at First Assembly of God. Dan went to Christian Life. Um, I knew a couple of mutual friends, or we had a couple of mutual friends, and that's how I that's how I got connected with Dan. But yeah, it wasn't it, maybe senior year of high school, but it wasn't really until college, our, our freshman and sophomore year of college, that we really developed that friendship. So did your mom pack you all in the car and bring you to cross currents? At that point, I was driving, so I would drive myself. And then you went to Rock Valley for two years? Went to Rock Valley for two years and then transferred to DePaul University. In fact, so that's where Matt and I met. Uh, Matt and I met at DePaul. Uh, we were in the same fraternity, Phi uh, Kappa Psi. Michelle Branning, uh, Matt's wife, I, I, I've known since high school as well. So Michelle went to school with Dan. Michelle and I were very close, are still very close, but we were very close. Um, she and I and our friend Nolan transferred from Rock Valley to DePaul together. So the three of us went in as juniors at DePaul. Met, uh, met Matt and introduced Matt to uh, Michelle. So without Nolan and myself, there would be no Michelle and Matt. Is Michelle musical? No, I don't think so. And I don't mean to say that. I don't think so. I don't think, I think Michelle would say no, she was not. I think she played, I think she played flute. She either played flute or trumpet in high school. Right, but you guys have Haley to play the flute now, so you don't really need Michelle. <laughs> That's right. She's been outed. She's been ousted. Did you guys ever consider a female singer? We have talked about that. In fact, on our next album, I think that is a must. We need to have a duet with Matt and a female vocal, a vocalist. That is that is a definite must for the next album. So from your first album, your debut album, to the sophomore album, you could literally hear Matt's voice, you know, mature, get more complex, get richer, get more powerful, get more interesting. Obviously, that's, that's the 
voice. That's the voice that we hear of the band. And to me, it's a memorable voice. It's a distinctive voice. Are you surprised that he really, really backed away when I referred to him as the lead singer? You know, that's, um, Matt is a very humble person. He's very talented, not just with, um, with music, but he's very talented with music. He's, he's, he's a very creative, talented person. And, you know, in college and, and after college, he, he, he went through a period of time where he was, um, finding himself and figuring out what it is that he wanted to do. His dad was a fireman in Chicago. And at one point he was on that path. He was a paramedic. He was working towards becoming a fireman. But I don't think that that was fulfilling for him. He's now a marketing director. Uh, and He really uses his creativity um, to its max. So to answer your question, I don't, I'm not surprised that he, backed away from that. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a fact, right? There's no one else really sing. Sam does sing on a couple of songs back up, but I mean, he is certainly the lead vocalist and he certainly is the leader of our, our band as well. Otherwise, if there was no Matt in this band, I don't think this band would exist. Certainly not to the level that it has gotten to. Uh, he's the one that certainly pushes us to, um, to, to continue on, you know, even when it's challenging. So um, Dan, Sam, and Nate all said that Matt is the leader of the band. And when I asked Matt if there was a leader of the band, he said, absolutely not. It is a group of equals. You know, we all make decisions together. No, there is no leader of the band. Well, that, that piece of it is true. Um, you know, when it comes to collaborating and making decisions, we do make those decisions together. And that was one of the most fun things about this album was collaborating on every little uh, piece of it. And even when we were all on the same state and could drive over to Matt's house where we had our studio, it wasn't nearly as collaborative as this album was. I mean, we were on the phone and we still are every day, texting, calling, listening to bits of music um, from the album, different sections of the song over and over again to perfect it and get it right. And we're critiquing each other's music um, or critiquing our own and making modifications. And sometimes we threw out tracks completely to say hey you know what i think we can do this better or i think we should go in a different direction uh, one of sam's songs uh he completely re-envisioned and um and we went and went in a in, in a different direction so certainly matt is telling the truth when he says you know we are a very collaborative band but in terms of leading us i would say there's a clear leader and i think as you mentioned, Sam and Dan would say the same thing. Uh, Matt is definitely our, our leader of the band, not just vocally, but um, he's the one that uh, really pushes us to that next level. If, if, you, if you thought about the four of you, is there one member that stands out 
that really, really, really loves being in the band, that loves the whole process, that, you know, this is who they are to their core? Mm. You know, it, it should be an easy answer. Um, but, you know, as I'm like thinking through everyone and trying to like eliminate, yeah, maybe not him, maybe not. No, I, I think all of us are so passionate about the music and what we have as friends. And that's the biggest thing for us. You know, this band was formed out of friendship. And it was really not, there was no lofty goals of where we were going to take this music or take this band. It started out very humbly and over the years it has developed and gotten to the point where it's at now. But I think, I think everyone is just as passionate about what we have and, and we really do treasure that. It's, it's, uh, the guys wrote some really nice notes that in fact, I, I need to, I need to add to this. Um, but each, Dan, Sam, and, and Matt, and I don't know, Sam, Sam started this. Uh, he wrote a really beautiful note to us, and Dan responded, and then, then Matt responded. That, and now I'm, I'm certainly obligated to respond as well, but just beautiful notes uh, to each other about how amazing it's been uh, and what a blessing it's been to work on this project together to be so connected to each other and to have our friendship so developed and just to have that closeness, even though we're not in close proximity, um, we all live in different states, but it's just, uh, it really has been a, uh, just a blessing to have uh, each one of these guys in our lives. So I asked this question to the other guys. Were you born a musician? That's tough. That's tough for me, Tom, because I started playing from such a young age. But, it's tough uh, but you, played, that out, so. you, you, you played because your mom forced you to play. Yeah. Um, yeah then, yeah, you're absolutely right. I would, I would say yes, but... It's difficult to say what I would be without music. You know, at one point, my parents made the conscious decision for us. It's going to be music over sports. You know, for instance, I played soccer until I was 11, and then it started to interfere with orchestra. So no more soccer. And that's something that I, I feel that I missed out on is um, uh, being so interested in sports. Um, but certainly, I, I I wouldn't give up the ability to play the cello to um, have a love for music. Um, I don't know if I was born a born musician, but from such a young age, I've not I've not known anything different. Did you stop playing soccer because that was your mom's decision? Say that one more time. No? Did you stop playing soccer because that was your mom's decision? Mm -hmm. Yes. At the time, I was not happy with that. 
Yeah. Do any of your siblings still play? My sister plays the piano. Uh, that's about it. I, 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 and I, and I don't know that she plays all that much either. I think I'm the only one that has really kept up with it. And you love it. Yes. And you have your mom to thank. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is she proud of you? Yes. I, I, I can say that, uh, with, with all certainty. Yes. So in a way, are you maybe living out a fantasy of hers? Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I, yeah, I would definitely. So yeah, she, I would say living, she's living vicariously in some way, no. um, not in a healthy way. No. You know, I, I, you know, the thing is, Tom, I don't know that she's, uh, how do I want to say this? I don't know that she is all that, um, like, I think she'd be fine if I, if I was just playing actively in an orchestra. I don't think she necessarily has an aspiration for me to have a career with music, but just to enjoy having music in my life which and sharing music with others, which, yeah. which, is, which, which is what I do. Yeah. What do you do professionally? I am a recruiter. I recruit engineers. So remember earlier when I said that moving from Poplar Grove or rather Harvard to Poplar Grove was a pivotal moment for me, learning how to meet people, interact with people, great conversation. That's my career now. <laughs> That's what I do is I, 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 I talk to strangers and I convince them to leave their job and go to work for another company. And when you were in 10th grade, being homeschooled, did you think, oh, when I grow up, I want to recruit engineers? No, not, not at all. I went, in, I went to school for psychology, and I thought I would be a counselor. Um, that, was, that was my goal, was to become a counselor. And when I was at DePaul, I did a couple of internships. And um, research project. I was uh, with some of the professors there, and I realized uh, this isn't what I thought it would be. Not quite for me. And then I I started taking some industrial industrial organizational psychology classes. I just kind of stumbled upon that. I didn't even know it existed, and really enjoyed it. Really fell in love with it, and. That's what led me into recruiting. And would you say, do you love it? Is this what you were born to do? Are you going to be a recruiter the rest of your life? I, I do enjoy uh, certainly uh, parts of it. You know, every job has its, has its ups and downs. But uh, yeah, I certainly do enjoy it, yes. So are you actually involved with the writing of the lyrics for any of the songs? No, on this album, I'm not. 
And that's, that's probably, um, if I had a regret on the album, that's a regret of mine that I didn't get a song ready for uh, the album. You know, the thing is we actually had more songs that we cut and we'll, we'll, we'll put on onto the next album. This was a, this was a running discussion as to how many songs we were going to have on this album. And we decided on 10. Uh, and so there are songs that will be put on the next album, but yeah, I did not get a song ready for this album. And that's, that's, if there's a regret, that's, that's one that I have. Would the, um, the actual music for each song be what it is without your input? No, but I could, and I could say that for all of us, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about, uh, how collaborative the album was. I think everyone would say it was necessary for everyone's input to get to the point that we ended with. So you guys must really, really trust each other. Yes. So the first single is Chase the Sun. It came out September 4th. I have listened to it probably 125 times. Uh, I take my dog walking every morning and we, we literally are chasing the sun. The sun rises here in Illinois at about, I don't know, 714 now. So we are sure that we are out as the sun's coming up. How do Tom, you are, you are almost certainly our biggest fan. I am uh, the biggest fan. I am your biggest fan. It's evident. I love, love, love your CD. Your CD reminds me of who I was in my 20s and in my 30s, but the words and the messages and the phrases are not only who I am at 63, but who I want to be over the next 10 years. I literally want to spend the rest of my life chasing the sun. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, Matt moved west I right. I moved west not once but twice when I was in my twenties. Oh, oh I was, is that right? Absolutely. When I was in my twenties, I packed up the car. I drove west. I I moved to West LA. I lived at National and Sepulveda. Oh, okay. A year after my wife died in uh, 1999, two years later, I packed up my kids. I drove to Northern California. We we moved to Walnut Creek, California. So I I did what your the story that your song yeah i've done it twice that's incredible i didn't know that so okay so you moved out there and then what prompted you to come back to illinois the first time yeah so everything we need will be there waiting on the other side Hmm. because nothing amazing comes from safe yeah, that's uh, great, a great, great question. Great question. That's my favorite line. That's that's one yeah. of my favorite lines in the whole album. Nothing amazing comes from safe. Yeah, oh. that that line like uh, it, it it pierces right. It's like if you're trying to take the safe route, what are you what are you going to end up with? You're going to end up with a safe result. Right. And that line. Yeah. There, there are several lines throughout the album. It's like, wow, that just pierces deep. 
Wow, where did that come from? That's, that's, what, that's what I asked the songwriters. It's like, where did that line come from? Yeah. So to answer your question, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Rockford, Illinois. Hate, hate, hate the dark winters. Hmm. And knew that sooner or later, I was going to go west because of the sun, period. My brother Jim went to school at ASU. I went to Arizona to visit. And I was like, this is where I want to live. This is where I want to live. So I taught school in Rockford for two years, flew out to Arizona, got a job, packed up my stuff, and went west, chased the sun. I taught school there for two years, but my real dream, my real dream was always to move to LA. Always, always, oh, okay. always. So a friend of mine, I told this to Matt, uh, I had a red Camaro, she had a yellow Camaro. We packed our stuff and we literally, we drove to LA. I had never been there before. We didn't know where we were gonna stay. We didn't have jobs. I got a teaching job. She got a job with a talent agency. We got an apartment. I worked at Brent. I worked on, at, at Brentwood School, 2000 Stoner, and I hated it. Mm -hmm. I hated every second of it. I was making $14,000 a year. I was in LA. People were driving their Mercedes, their limos. Uh, and the light dimmed. It dimmed and dimmed and dimmed and dimmed. And by the beginning of January, I literally, I quit my job. I wow. packed up my red Camaro. I drove home. And uh, my parents are like, uh, what are you doing here? Where do you think you're going to live? They literally let me stay in their basement. I took another teaching job in Rockford. I taught, okay. I taught school for about six weeks. The light got darker and darker and darker. And on a Friday, I went in and I did what no teachers are supposed to do. I said, I quit. I quit. I quit on a Friday afternoon. And I remember my mom came home. I was sitting at the table. Well, how was your day? I said, Mom, I quit my job. She looked at me and she said, well, now what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. I had no idea. None. None. I just knew I couldn't hold on. I couldn't hold on any longer. And that weekend, my brother John said, hey, uh, my buddy's mom works for the Cancer Society. I know they're hiring someone. You should give her a call. I gave her a call. This is what she said, Nate. We're looking for a middle-aged woman with fundraising experience. <laughs> so I, I literally said, let me work on my resume. To make a long story short, I interviewed. They hired me. A year later, I transferred to Chicago. I met this woman named Trish Brennan. I married her. Life unfolded perfectly. Thank you, Jesus that I hightailed at home when I did. Wow, what a story. That's amazing. I, I, so after my wife died, like I said, in, um, in 99, I knew I needed to get out of the Midwest. I knew I needed to. 
So I, I chased the sun. I had already done Southern California, so I chased it to Northern California. Uh, we lived there for two years, and it was glorious. I mean, I had a dead wife, but we were in a beautiful area. We went to the beach. We went hiking. The people there embraced us. The three of us um, kind of bonded as you know an entity of three now. Incredibly, incredibly healing. And I was working with a therapist at the time, very new age, very California. She did something called process painting, where you paint from the heart. You know, mm -hmm. that which has no words, you bring it up and you put it on paper in color, in color, in color. I'm not kidding you. I've been in the area for two years. I painted, I rolled up the painting, I put it in my red Camaro. I'm driving home to pick up my kids and I hear this voice. My name is Revelation. Rockford is not the same. You are not the same. You can go back home. Wow. I said, what? And I heard, my name is Revelation. You are not the same. Rockford is not the same. You can go back home. Hmm. I went home. I turned on my computer. It was at the time of AOL. I checked my messages. There was literally an email from American Airlines, half off sale Mother's Day weekend. Okay. I bought three tickets. I connected with a realtor. I bought a house. We moved back the middle of that summer. It took us about 18 months, really, to kind of get acclimated. But I'm back home in Rockford. My kids are blossoming. And I'm finally feeling like we're where we're supposed to be, to quote the lyrics of the song. We are exactly where we're supposed to be. My son goes to school one day in seventh grade, two days in seventh grade. He has a seizure that night. A month later, he's diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. He dies in February. We were exactly oh where we were supposed to be. If I had stayed in Northern California, no family, no support, right. no nothing. So for me, you know, chasing the sun and then coming back home, the name of another song on the album, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Life unfolds as it should in every single moment. I'm living proof. What an amazing story, Tom. Thank you for, for sharing that. I mean, that that's one of the reasons that your your words resonate so deeply with me. And I firmly, firmly believe that I'm an ordinary guy. I'm just like everybody else. If this is true for me. It's true for the next person and the next person and the next person. I believe that something powerful and magical and hopeful and transformative, you know, came through the four of you. I certainly hope so. You know, it wasn't that we had any aspirations of that, but as the album developed, I think we were overwhelmed. I know we were because each each step along the way, we would discuss, and hey, where did this come from? You know, listening to the finished product, it's like, wow, 
we didn't we didn't even know how we got there. And the running joke is like between the four of us, how are we gonna play this album? Like can we actually learn these songs that we wrote, recorded, and because there's so much to it, it's like we're, we're almost taken aback by what the end result is. And of course, very happy with that. Uh, but we're hopeful that it does connect with 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 other people in in different ways. Yeah, just as we were talking about that. You listen to one of the songs and it means something different to you than it does to me or to uh, Matt or Sam or Dan who, who wrote the song. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a really cool album. We're very excited about it and hoping that others connect with it as well. So this is what I know. I'm not a musician but I'm a creative force in the same way that the four of you are creative forces. I, I wrote one book, you have one debut album. I wrote a second book, you have a sophomore album. Mm-hmm. I read this book and I think, where did this come from? Where, where did these words come from? This is more beautiful than I remember. This is really powerful. It really moves me. I hope that this will move and touch other people. In the line of work that I do, I hear from people every single day that say, your book saved my life. You saved my life. You saved my life. I wrote a second book. You have a second album. This is more glorious. This is more spectacular. This is more powerful than the first one. Like you, I open this up. I'm like, where did this come from? Right. Who wrote this? How, how, how did this phrase come together? I don't ever remember reading it before, but dang, it's beautiful. <laughs> so this is what I've come up with. This is what I come up with. I firmly, firmly believe this, that Literally, we are all one. We are all connected. And that the people, the energy, the spirit, the souls of the people that we're going to be touched by this, whose lives were going to be saved by this, they had a hand in pulling this out of me. In literally pulling this out of me. So I don't say this is my book. This is our book. This mm. is our book. And I believe that my the invitation from the universe to me is I can work like a dog to make sure that this book gets in the hands of every single human being that helped co-write it with me because there's a message in here for them that they pulled out of me. And my hunch is I know enough about, you know, creative artists they would say the same thing. They don't really know where it came from. That's part of the creative process. It's saying yes to it and allowing it to flow through us. Uh, you know, Tom, I was hoping to, uh, when we spoke last Wednesday, I ordered your books that night. And for some reason, they have not arrived yet. I ordered them through Amazon. 
I was really hoping to read them, or at least one of them, uh, before before we were able to talk. But I did read the reviews, or some of the reviews. I mean, you have hundreds of reviews, all just uh, glowing reviews um, on Amazon. And just to read the words from your readers, it's just incredible how they have been touched by your work, by what you've done, which by what the, by the words that you've written and how you have, how you've shared your story so openly. You know, that was one of the repeated themes in those reviews is Tom knows what I've gone through. And he has shared it very openly and this is the best book I've ever read on grief, over and over again. And so I'm very excited to read your books. Uh, I'm hoping that I receive them, maybe even tomorrow, probably, probably get them tomorrow. Uh, but the reviews themselves, just incredible. Just incredible. I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate the fact that you read the reviews and I appreciate the words that you shared with me. And you don't really know me that well, but one of the things that I teach is I firmly believe that words have power and I speak slowly and I speak mindfully. And I learned a long time ago that if I tell the truth, then I don't have to really remember what I said because mm. I, I always speak the truth. So that's what drew me and that's what continues to draw me to your album. Because I think that everything that you said about my book is what I experience when listening to your album, that you're vulnerable, that you guys were honest, that you're telling what's true for you, but because I'm a human being, it's true for me as well. You guys, one song after the other after the other, you build a bridge to other people. And in this day of the coronavirus, of Black Lives Matter, of, a, of an election coming up, we need bridges. We need bridges. Mm. We don't need walls. We need bridges, right. bridges, right. bridges. So I don't believe in coincidences. And what I really wanted to hit on is I want... so. Danny and Ben, they're already out there. My conversation with them is already out there on YouTube, but I, I, I need their buddy Chris to upload it to the podcasts. And, oh, okay. And I'm going to meet with him tomorrow. So my hope is that tomorrow, that first interview, did I say Danny and Ben, Danny and Sam? You did. And I was thinking, do I correct him? He'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, Danny and, and Sam. You, did. you figured it out. Yeah. Obviously, Ben is Danny and Sam's brother. I always, Dan think, I always brother. think Danny and Ben, you know, Danny and Ben. Yeah, Danny yeah. Oh, yeah. So my, I, knew exactly, I knew exactly where that came from. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll, it's an easy, easy uh, mistake to make. I'll, I'll tell you this, though, Nate. My, our youngest sister, Anne-Marie, she called me today. And she said, I spent the two and a half hours listening to your conversation with Dan and Sam, she said, I was riveted. She said, mm -hmm. I learned so much about them. They were 
honest, they were vulnerable, they were raw, they were real. I had a similar conversation with Matt last night, who I don't know really at all. And my thought is, I want to release that this Friday. that, That coincides with the single, I'm sorry. And and this conversation with you, I want to do on the 25th, which coincides oh, yeah. with the release of, to me, what is the most haunting, powerful, personal song on the album, and that saved you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that song is, there's so much energy in that song. I'm getting goosebumps just even thinking about it. When we, this is one that um, had been shelved. We had originally um, thought about this song for their first album and never got it to the point where we felt uh, comfortable with it, confident that that was the right version of the song. And came back completely redid it. And it was interesting listening to older versions of the song. Wow. How we got to this point. But that song has so much energy in it. And I know for me personally, it was one that I took a lot of risks on. I I used different techniques in my uh, playing that I never had. Um, it's re- in, in order to create an uneasiness in this song, it, it's really what we are going for. This um, it's almost unstable uh, to create this emotion of pain and guilt, and shame, um, wanting to do everything you can to save this person. And in the end, failing. You know, what could I have done differently? Thought I, I thought I could see. And so that, yeah, that song is is very powerful, very very powerful, powerful song. And and it's memorable. It's memorable. I mean, the 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 first couple of notes, it's like, oh yes, here we are. You know, here we are. Here we are. It's it's haunting, it's beautiful, it's magnetic, it's mesmerizing to me. Well, thank, yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you for that. And that's a great idea to release this podcast. I guess it's not just a podcast since we have video, right? <laughs> uh, on the 25th, when that comes out, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would, that would be just great. So... You know, in in that brief introductory conversation that I had with you guys, I mean, I'm 63. I have a really, really clear vision about what I want to create for the rest of my life. I know exactly why I came to the planet. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. You know, I have two dead kids and a dead wife. I'm so grateful I never killed myself. I mean, I thought about it many, many times. I'm glad I didn't do it. And the intention that I set through my social media outlets is to have one 
million followers in 12 months. And I've connected with this buddy of Dan's, Chris. I call him CW. And he's the guy that believes he can take me to 1 million followers in less than 12 months. So it's the combined energy of the two of us. We believe it's gonna happen. We have the vision. We were mapping out the action steps. It will happen. That's Mm -hmm. how powerful we are as human beings. So it's interesting because you said that this is a labor of love, the energy between the four of you, the friendship, the relationship, you know, the, the product, love, 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 grateful, 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 grateful. And you said, we have no lofty goals. We have no lofty goals for the album itself. And I believe, this is me, I believe the universe will respond in kind. If you have no lofty goals, no lofty goals will be met. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, may be fine. You know, perfect. You know, we're glad we did it. We'll put it out there. If a couple people listen to it, cool. You know, from our conversation last week, Tom, uh, and when you had introduced these thoughts, uh, to us that hey, I think you guys are thinking too small. We've had subsequent, subsequent conversations, uh, the four of us. And, you know, perhaps we are thinking um, too narrowly, too small. Um, I think the, the same intention applies, but in terms of creating a meaningful album that um, will touch lives. But maybe we are thinking about it on a smaller scale when in fact we should be thinking about this. Hey, this could be a much bigger uh, deal for us than we had had anticipated or a much bigger um, scope is what I mean to say uh, that it would touch more lives than we had thought it would. So that we're, we're trying to wrap our heads around that. It, it's it's uh, because we certainly see your point, and and uh, it's it's not something that we had given great consideration to. You know, we all have separate careers. We all have families. Um, three of us have kids at different varying stages of life uh, or ages, rather. And so, you know. Beyond recording the album, we hadn't given much thought to, you know, where could this, where could this go? And so it's something now that we're talking more about and discussing and really giving serious thought to. I I believe that life is always the teacher. Life is always the teacher. So your first album, how would you describe the reach of that? How many likes did you get how many lives did that first album touch yeah you know uh so we have just under a hundred thousand streams for that first album which 
honestly, frankly, it was much more than we anticipated. And we, <laughs> we're not exactly certain how we got to that point. You, um, it, it's, it's kind of nuts to think that even that first album reached that many people. Um, but yeah, about 100,000 streams across the various uh, streaming platforms. So you know, life has changed since then. And there's this thing called the pandemic. And that could be a plus for musicians like you, or that could be a negative. My hunch is it's probably a plus. People have more, you know, free, unstructured time. My hunch is they're searching for music. So if you respond post release of the album Navigate on October 9th, if your response to this is the same as your response to the first, you know, we could predict that you'll probably get 100,000 again. And maybe that's cool. Hey, we hit the 100,000 mark again. Success. Or it could be so much more. I, I, I feel the prompting there. It will only become so much more if you change your response post-release of the album. It's not just going to happen. There's, right, right. there's, there's 100,000 fans just like you releasing their mm-hmm. albums. You know, like I said to you, the 98% of self-published authors, I'm a self-published author, mm-hmm. 98% of us sell 100 books or less. Why? Because once the book is done, once the album is done, it never occurred to us that that's when the real work begins. Uh, that's when the real work begins. You know, how do I get this beautiful product in someone's hands? That's a really good point, Tom. So to me, it goes back to, I know what my goal for this book is. Every single human being on the planet that is living with the death of someone they love I want this in their hands. It's a lofty goal. Do I believe it's possible? You bet I do. Mm. I've heard from people in Antarctica, in South Africa, in India, in the Netherlands, in Germany, in all over the world. Your book touched my life. You saved my life. Cool. I'm moving in the right direction. Absolutely. So I think with any of us that are creators, once the creation is finished, we are invited to consider what next? You know, Mm -hmm. what next? Am Am I content keeping the creation, you know, right over here so I can look at it? Or was part of it to share the creation with the widest audience possible. Right. I think that's the exciting invitation. And there's not a right answer and there's not a wrong answer. 
you know, like you said, everyone has lives. Three of you have kids. You all have jobs. Success. You already created a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, album. Success. Well, yeah, thank you, Tom. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, we, we, we may be, uh, we may be uh, limiting ourselves. And, uh, you know, to your point, if we just leave it as is, the same result will take place as the, the first album. You know, the limited. 98% of human beings limit themselves by the beliefs that they choose to hold. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Most people aren't even aware of it. Hmm. This incredible, incredible music flowed through you guys for a reason. But it also flowed through probably 20,000 other bands out there as well. And, you know, two or three of them will say, hey, I want to be number one. But like I said, there's not a right or a wrong. Um, the album's called Navigate. The album is released on October 9th. How do people find it? All the streaming services, Apple, uh, Amazon, um, uh, YouTube. Uh, we will have a lyric video as well for each of the singles. So our next single comes out this Friday. Um, which is I'm Sorry, and that will be on all the streaming services. But yeah, the album will be available on all, all major streaming services on the night. And, and how, do, how do people find your website? The Early Sixes, or actually, I'm sorry, it's just earlysixes.com. And I think I asked everybody this question. People who have listened to the podcast why should they buy the album? Why should they buy the album? Well, you would always have the songs and uh, you wouldn't have to rely on the streaming services or you would have a membership on one of the streaming services and also listen to our album. Uh, it's interesting, Tom, how things have changed, even from our last album, that it's not just about the number of albums you sell, but how many streams you get. So either you listen to us on one of the streaming services or you purchase the album, we're happy either way. So when people on October 9th get the 10 songs, sit down and listen to the 10 songs, when they're done, what do you hope they feel? What do you hope they say? I hope they say, wow, that was an incredible experience. That's what I said. That's what I said. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And you know what else I hope they say? I got to listen to that again. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to tell my friends. And where do I get the lyrics? Because I want to sit and listen to the song with the lyrics and the lyrics and the lyrics. 
So go to the website. Um, the lyric videos, especially for all the singles, that spells out very clearly, uh, line by line. Uh, that's a great way to uh, go through the lyrics. Uh, and I'm, I'm the same way. I, I like to read through the lyrics of songs. Sometimes I miss something or I mishear something. And that's a great way to, uh, to, uh, to go through the song and listen to the lyrics, uh, the, the lyrics videos that we're putting out. This is what I think is going to happen. And I shared a little bit about this with you. After people listen to it maybe two or three times, they are going to want to know who the four of you are. They're, they're, they're going to want to know who pulled these lyrics. Where did these lyrics come from? What's the story behind this? Where did this come from? Uh, so if I were you guys, I'd be prepared for that. Good point. Very good point. I appreciate your time. Uh, it was phenomenal getting to know you more. I can't say this enough. I love your album. I wish you the best, best, best success. I hope, you know what I hope? I hope a million people listen to it. I hope a million people listen to it. Uh, what are your final thoughts? What are your, what's your final message to anyone that's listening? Well, th first off, Tom, I want to thank you for your time. You have been just an incredible inspiration for us. Uh, you, know, you and I don't know each other all that well, but I am... I feel like your nephews are my family. So in a way, I feel like you are family as well. And I, and I feel like that we've had that, that comfort level as well, going into the conversation, having not known each other very long, but still having that comfort level almost as we are family. So, so thank you so much. Thank you so much for introducing us to your, 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 um, your people. Your, to the followers of your uh, podcast, uh, what a what a generous offering to do that. Thank you so much, and that has just meant the world to us. I know for Dan and Sam, especially for their uncle to feel and be so overtly proud of their accomplishments has meant the world to them. It really has, and. Um, and so thank you, Tom. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I hope the album is as meaningful to your listeners as it is to us, as it is to you. And uh, thank you for having me on. I would, I would love to talk with you again and uh, hope to do so very soon. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I, I want to make this really clear. I work with broken people. I work with broken people all over the world. The people that I work with don't believe that hope is possible. They don't believe that joy is possible. They, 98% of them have considered killing themselves because when someone we love dies, your dad has firsthand experience with this recently, connected with the song that we talked about at the opening of the podcast. When someone we love dearly dies, we're shattered. We're shattered and we don't believe that that sun that we're chasing is going to appear again. That's just the way that it is. So part of what I'm trying to do is paint a different picture for people to say that wherever you are, wherever you find yourself in your life, particularly 
in this age of the coronavirus. Do not give up. Take the next step. Take the next step. And there are so many direct messages in this incredible album that you guys created that you literally help me paint a picture of hope and of possibility and of a joyful, radiant, radiant life. I believe that that's what you guys created for yourselves during the pandemic. You know, you didn't you didn't go in your closet and drink and drink and drink and and pop, you know, pills. You said yes to life as it was. You maximized the way you could connect using social media. You guys got closer to each other. You know, you listened to the voice. You created a masterpiece. You're a living example in your own ways of what's possible when we say yes to life, when we shift our perception and when we, you know, when we step into the possibility of radiance, of being radiant. So, yes, I'm happy to offer you what I have to offer. And I'm grateful that you offered the world what you guys have to offer. So it's a win, 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 win. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Tom. And thank you to your, your tribe. That's the word I was trying to think of earlier. Your, your, your followers are your tribe. That's, uh, and that's, that's, thank you for allowing us to belong us in to your, to your tribe, to, uh, it is an ever expanding table and there is a seat for absolutely everyone. The four of you are welcome anytime. Well, thank you very much, Tom. You're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care.